Good morning. Thank you for being here at Shambly UMC this Sunday morning. We are so happy that you have joined us on this holiday weekend. For those who may not know, my name is India Gleason, and I am the youth ministry director here, and I'm also a third-year seminary student at Candler School of Theology. I want to start us off this morning by reading our scripture. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you were asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in the world, Lord, Lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. I had to like switch screens. There was a weird glare going on. It was messing with me. Today we're continuing a journey through a sermon series called Upside Down Kingdom. We started out the first week with where the children are blessed. And last week we talked about where the, where the last are first. Today we will venture through this passage in Mark and discover where the least are the greatest. For those who know me pretty well, you know that I am the oldest of four girls ranging from 24 to 11 years old. Which basically means there was a lot of arguing in our household. My sister Abigail is 22 years old and she is my biological sister. My sister Bailey is 13 going on 30 and Brooklyn is 11 going on 18. And they are both adopted. When my parents started fostering Bailey and Brooklyn, they were four and 14 months old. What went from Abby and I arguing over who took whose clothes, who borrowed what, who didn't put something away, turned into who gets to sit next to mom and dad. There was no longer two people fighting for two seats, but four people fighting for two seats. All this did was turn into a never-ending game of musical chairs that I'm pretty sure still goes on to this day. A hierarchical structure began to form amongst all of us girls. I'll be the first to admit, though not always, since I was the oldest, I was deemed the princess of the family. 
always got what I wanted and never got in trouble, at least horribly. I was, in essence, the greatest. So if anyone, I deserved a spot next to mom or dad on the couch. I promise I'm not this self-conceited. If you've grown up with siblings, you know exactly where I am coming from. Sibling rivalries are somewhat famous among families, and let's be honest, have probably created some really awesome stories. Not only do these sibling rivalry stories occur among us, we can also find a lot of these stories in the Bible. Cain and Abel, which is one of the most extreme sibling rivalries in the Bible. Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Rachel and Leah, Mary and Martha, and the list could go on. This passage in Mark is another one of those stories. You have the 12 disciples who have been with each other for so long now, they are like siblings. And they're arguing over who gets to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus in glory. This conversation stems from a previous passage in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 through 37. And in this passage, the 12 disciples start arguing over who is the greatest. But when Jesus asked them what they had been, been arguing about, they stayed silent. They probably didn't want anyone getting in trouble. So the disciples through two chapters now have been so focused on who is the greatest and who gets to sit next to Jesus in glory that they have been missing his teachings. The disciples have been competing for his attention and trying to one-up each other for greatness in the kingdom. Don't we do this as brothers and sisters of Christ? We can also get caught up in sibling rivalries. We get into petty arguments over who is great and who is more worthy of attention, who has the highest opinion and who is in charge. When we start to dwell in the arguments of greatness, we succumb ourselves to the, those divisions. We are missing our chance of seeing Jesus. We stop listening to what God is telling us. When he has something bold and exciting or a vision for our future and hope for tomorrow, we are missing a chance to hear God's voice. This comes as, I hope, I hope no shock to anybody, but we live in an age of social media. People are constantly competing for likes and followers. It's all about who has the most likes on a post and who has the most followers. I actually have a game at my house and the first, the person who goes first in the game is decided on who has the most Instagram followers. This company who made this game has literally marketed greatness and being first on who has the most followers on Instagram. This mindset of being great based on numbers has, and people has consumed our society. But Jesus says, don't focus on that. He says in verse 43, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wished to be first among you must be slave of all. If you want to be truly great in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about the number of people who are below you or how many people are following you. It's about how many people are above you. 
If you want the attention of God, it's not about how many people serve you, but how many people you serve. If you want to be first, you have to be last. We need to start letting the glory and love of God shine through us instead of counting the times that we get and receive the glory. We often try to put ourselves first when the situation is benefiting us. We want our earthly possessions to reflect that we are better than our neighbor. We want a big house, a fancy car, nice clothes, and lots of friends. How is this putting ourselves last? How is this being the greatest? There's an author that I love named Bob, Bob Goff. He is a lawyer, a speaker, and a writer, and he has a couple of books that I just love. One of them is called Everybody Always, and I've got the book right here. In one of the chapters, he takes you through a story of him speaking at an event in Disney World through a Christian radio broadcast company, I believe. He got to, when he got to the Orlando airport, and he was going to get in a taxi cab, and then he saw a limo driver that had a sign named Bob, and he was like, oh, that's really cool. And then he noticed Goff underneath the name, and he was like, what? And there was a limo waiting for him. So when talking to the driver on this drive to Disney World, the driver had been driving for 25 years and was retiring a month after um, Bob's ride. Bob had asked him if he had ever ridden in the back of one of the limos that he had driven. The driver replied he hadn't because he would be fired. To which Bob replied, eh, you're retiring anyways. So the driver pulled over they switch seats, and Bob finishes the drive to Disney World. Bob treated this driver as someone greater than him. This man wasn't serving Bob. Bob was serving him. Bob decided in that moment that building a kingdom of where the least are the greatest was a kingdom worth living in. There's a paragraph in this chapter that I love that I think encapsulates this whole sermon series. This is what Bob writes. We actually build castles all the time, out of our jobs and our families and the things we've purchased. Sometimes we even make them out of each other. Some of these castles are impressive too. Lots of people come to admire what we've built over the course of our lives and tell us what great castles we have. But Jesus told his friends we weren't supposed to spend our lives building castles. He said he wanted us to build a kingdom and there's a difference between building a castle and building a kingdom. You see, castles have moats to keep creepy people out, but kingdoms have bridges to let everybody in. Castles have dungeons for people who have messed up, but kingdoms have grace. If we want a kingdom, then we start the way grace did, by drawing a circle around everyone and saying they're in. Kingdoms aren't built, are built from the people up. There's no set of plans just Jesus. I just, I love that paragraph. It's so empowering to me about this idea of building, because when you think of a castle, you think of a kingdom, but they're, they're two completely different things. And Bob has building a kingdom all figured out. And his solution is really simple. Instead of building individual castles that have moats to keep people out, we simply build one kingdom with a bridge to let everyone in. 
God wants us to love others and do, and to do that, we have to put people first and love everybody always. One of the things my youngest sisters do, Bailey and Brooklyn, is they fight over who gets to sit next to mom at the dinner table. Growing up, we had assigned seats at the dinner table. You all know what I'm talking about. Everybody's got their seat. <laughs> we still do to this day. But when we go to restaurants, those assigned seats are lost. Bailey and Brooklyn both want to sit next to mom even though there's only one seat. Even now, when I go home and we go out to eat, they start to fight over who sits where, and my mom is like, um, I actually want to sit next to India because I haven't seen her in like three months. And then they both get upset. What they're doing in this situation is basing the love mom has for them off who gets to sit next to her at the table. And that's not the case. Our mom has enough love to go around to all of us. God is the same way. In sibling rivalries with our spiritual brothers and sisters, we fail to recognize that there is enough of God's love and attention to go around. When we don't recognize this, we are choosing to replace God's love and attention with selfishness. It is us as the church who have decided that there is a hierarchy of God's love. We are victims of our own system. And when we fight about it, everyone loses. We need to start serving each other and help bring God's kingdom to earth. We need to build God's kingdom with grace and allow everyone to be in it. Just as I mentioned, my sisters fight over who sits next to who at the dinner table. In the United Methodist Church, we have no reason to do this because everyone is welcome to the table. We celebrate this with communion and the remembrance of God's unending love for all. Our communion table is open to everyone. Come, sit, and eat. You know, what better way of seeing and witnessing the example of service? Because sometimes we come to the church and we, we look for serve us when it's actually service. And what better way an example was given to us when Jesus took up his clothes and he wrapped it up tightly, got a towel and a basin of water, and he sat and he kneeled down at the feet of his disciples and began to wash their feet. You know, imagine a church, like as, as Pastor India shared with us in her sermon, uh, imagine if we were a church that learned how to wash people's feet. And, and we, not because of anything great that we have done or the castles we build or how important we are, but simply because we're following the very example of Jesus. And what's, what's great is, is that, um, as she said, everyone comes to the table. Everyone's welcome to the table. Doesn't matter how many likes you have, because Jesus says, you are loved and you are known. I know your name. I know everything about you. So come, your seat belongs here at my table. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, 
blessed it. He lifted it up, he blessed it, and then he tore it. Probably a little bit harder than what I just did, but I am stronger than I look, right? But he uh, tore the bread, and he said, this is my body, broken and given over for you. Take and eat, and do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal was finished and done, he took a pitcher and he poured it into a cup. And then he lifted up the cup and he said, you see this cup? This is the cup of the new covenant. This represents the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of your sins and mine. See, this is, this is the very thing that, uh, this is the offer that Jesus gives to people as he says, you're welcome to this table because guess what? You get to take of this cup. And it's, it, it represents the forgiveness of sins of the world. He says, take and drink. And then he says, don't do this every once in a while. He says, do this as often as you can. Because it is a reminder. Right? He says, my love for you is real. And my love for you is in abundance. Just when you think it can run out, guess what? There is more to come. Because it overflows. And it's meant to overflow and to cover over you. Will you pray with me? I'm going to invite our, 